The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Hello and welcome to another live edition of What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is, of course, Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest. He's a member of the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing great, Father. Good. Good great. to see you. There. Yeah, you too. Definitely. Uh, great to be here again, Father. We have... Um, multiple topics tonight as usual. Um, in regards to one of our recent videos, we uh, received some a couple comments um, rather interesting. I would like to uh, just read one of these, Father, and uh, get your response to this. Uh, one of our viewers said, regarding the Novus Ordo Mass, since there are forensically documented Eucharistic miracles emanating from Novus Ordo consecrations, it appears that communion at those Masses would be valid. Uh, this viewer also says, please do not insult my intelligence with the attributing such miracles to the diabolical. So how would you reply to that, Father? Documented Eucharistic miracles emanating from the Novus Ordo. Well, I'd be interested, you mentioned about two comments. I'd be interested in the other one, if there is another one. Indeed, uh, just one. But in any case, uh, forensically, what did he say, verified? Uh, forensically documented. Forensically documented. Okay, well, that's very interesting. Forensically documented. I wonder what that means, really, you know? I mean, did they bring in uh, crime scene investigators? <laughs> what does that mean, exactly? I, I, I don't understand uh, the forensic documentation. Now, perhaps uh, it has something to do with something akin to investigation into the miracle of Lanciano, where in the 700s or so, uh, a priest was offering Mass, and the host turned into an actual part of the myocardium of the heart, and um, that the uh, precious blood actually became blood, visible blood. <clears throat> and to this day, I mean, it re they remain on, on display in the church in Lanciano, I understand. Um, and there have been some tests run um, by scientists who determined the blood was AB blood. And I'm not sure how they do that after probably was hundreds of years, and probably maybe a thousand years later that they determined that. Um, but in any case, perhaps that's what it means, but I don't know what it means. So forensically uh, documented, uh, I'd like to see the documentation, for one thing. And uh, number two, don't insult my intelligence by saying it's diabolical. Well, is it, is it insulting one's intelligence to uh, cite uh, the scripture that the devil can disguise himself as an angel of light, and the devil is an ape of God, right? And he apes God. He tries to imitate God. I don't see how that's insulting one's intelligence. Um, and miracles are usually certified by church authority, genuine Catholic church authority, not by forensics. So I'm a little puzzled as to where the writer is coming from. But the third thing I would say about that is, uh, this has nothing to do with anything I've said. And if those who um, 
want to know what I've said, they can go back and they can look what I've said about the Novus Ordo Mise, the New Order of Mass, uh, in the program. And I've never said categorically that I'm convinced that the Novus Ordo Mise is invalid. I've never said that I think it's intrinsically invalid, or that I'm convinced it's intrins- intrinsically invalid. I've never said that. So I don't know what the issue is that the person is trying to make. If he's trying to say to me that he thinks the Novus Ordo is uh, or can be valid, and is at least at times valid, I would say, well, okay, you know, we can discuss that. <clears throat> there are theological reasons for arguing that it could be intrinsically invalid, um, but they're theological reasons, right? And, um, um, you know, that, that still leaves open the possibility that it could be valid. The problem I have with the Novus Ordo is that it is an ecumenical service declared as such by those who created it, invented it, in their liturgical laboratories. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> as such, it is a sacrilege. And um, if it is valid, it is the worst sacrilege imaginable, almost akin to a black mass. Why? Because the Blessed Sacrament, if it is truly the Blessed Sacrament, is being abused there, is being treated, disrespect- treated disrespectfully, being treated, well, at least carelessly, and even contemptuously. First of all, the Novus Ordo does not say it is the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary, um, a teaching of the Church that is her dogma, uh, her doctrinal teaching that the, the Mass is the unbloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and Calvary. And that is made very clear in the traditional offertory prayers of the Mass. The Novus Ordo has done away with those prayers. And so the Novus Ordo continually refers to itself, the new order of Mass continually refers to itself as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Well, the traditional Mass is a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving as well. But it is really, what makes it essentially the Mass is that it's a sacrifice of reparation. And the, the new order never claims to be the sacrifice of reparation. It remembers the sacrifice of reparation that our Lord offered on Calvary, it remembers that, it recalls it as a kind of memorial service, uh, which it was originally defined as a memorial service and the general instruction on the new order of Mass. Um, but I've never said that uh, categorically it's invalid, but I, that that is, if it is valid, it is the most horrible and vicious sacrilege. It is the great sacrilege as it was referred to um, very early on by one of the early priest writers about the Novus Ordo. <clears throat> and um, so, again, I, I think the new order of Mass of Paul VI is an evil thing. And if it is valid, it is ten times more evil than if it is not valid. Because if it's simply bread and wine they're tossing around, uh, handing out, uh, to people um, in every condition of soul, right, indiscriminately, um, um, then it's very, very evil. They're calling that the body and blood of Christ and making a, a farce and a mockery of it. But if it is truly the body and blood of Christ, then it really is sacrilegious. Mm-hmm. Well, Father, one of our other viewers said that these uh, these so-called uh, Eucharistic miracles of the Novus Ordo, they, they do in fact prove 
the uh, the validity of the Novus Ordo consecrations. But this viewer said that uh, in order to prevent these abuses that they talk about, they will only attend uh, Novus Ordo masses where they can actually receive Holy Communion properly, where they can receive it on, on the tongue. Um, so what do you think about that? Is that a way to, to remedy the situation? Is that what this writer said? Yes, fine. Well, I'd say he's making a serious admission. Then. I mean, I, it sounds to me as though he's actually admitting what he apparently was, at least implicitly, uh, denying. I mean, is he is he thereby saying that he, he believes that many of the Novosoto liturgies are invalid, or is he admitting that the most that they're sacrilegious? Um, and if they are sacrilegious only in style then he needs to understand that they are sacrilegious in actual uh, substance. And my point is that the Nova Sardo is, to say the least, sacrilegious in substance, that's all. <clears throat> and in saying that he thinks it's valid, he does not deny what I'm saying. In other words, he doesn't really contradict what I'm saying. Uh, we could both agree that when it is valid, um... It is, it is still sacrilegious in substance. Yeah. And if he has to choose a liturgy where he can receive it on the tongue, <clears throat> which is perhaps one in a thousand or one in, in ten thousand now, I guess, I mean, he's already making a pretty uh, condemning admission, I think. So uh, anyway, it'd be interesting to have a, con a conversation with the gentleman to know exactly... Uh, to get some answers from myself about what he means by forensically documented and uh, and so on. Is there a second email associated with that? Though? That that was a that was a second. Oh, that was the second yes. one. The yeah. So that, no, Father. Sorry, that was a different. Oh, that was a different, different person. Yeah. Agre okay. Agreeing with the first one. Oh, I see. Yeah, but I would say it just compounds the problems. Yeah. yeah. You know, there there's something gravely wrong with a novus ordo mise that was designed to, well, basically not to state the Catholic faith uh, because they wanted an ecumenical service and they got one. <laughs> and that's exactly what they got. Yeah. yeah. Well, Father, we have uh, several other questions regarding the Novus Ordo and Vatican II in particular. Um, this first one we've had for a while now. Um, it's from a viewer who titled the, this, this email, Correcting the False Myth About John the 23rd. Hmm. It's a rather lengthy email, Father, but... Um, I can read some, some parts of his email, but uh, just to sum up, I believe he essentially makes the point that uh, John the 23rd uh, kind of gets a, uh, a bad rap from traditionalists where we kind of paint him as this modernist who, uh, who convoked Vatican II. Um, but in fact, John the 23rd, this viewer makes the case, uh, might have been more of a traditional-minded pope, and it was in fact Paul VI, the successor, who kind of co-opted the, the council and, and had made it take this radical turn. Um, and he, he quotes uh, a book by the uh, well-respected Italian professor, professor Roberto De Mattei, and um, he quotes several passages from that uh, to, to those points that I just made. Um, but uh, have, you, have you heard any of this, Father? He says uh, that the, at the time, John XXIII, the newly elected pope, enthusiastically agreed to the idea of, an, of a council which, which initially, initially came for, to him from staunch tradi traditionalists. So he said that uh, Cardinal Ottaviani himself suggested the idea to John XXIII. Um, have you ever heard anything like that, Father? What I've heard is exactly the opposite. <clears throat> and when you mentioned uh, the name uh, Roberto de Bete, um 
that does not carry an awful lot of weight with me right now. Um, uh, he has a reputation for being a conservative, but he's conservative Nova Soto. And uh, he is insisting that uh, the, uh, the, the stick that uh, the medical uh, establishment wants to, wants to, he wants everyone to get stuck with their, uh, with their stick, right? Uh, Got to be careful here because, of course, if you mention the, the word, right, <laughs> that immediately Big Brother is going to pounce on you and erase you. Uh, it's come to that, but uh, he's all in favor of that, right? And uh, also, he has attacked Archbishop Vigano for being too strong uh, in his statements about the Novus Ordo, and has actually gone so far as to say that he has kind of a ghostwriter or a double writing things for him. Yep. And uh, I'd say he's pretty much disgraced himself and discredited himself, at least in my mind, he has. <clears throat> now, this is what he's that is being said about him there, actually what, what is being attributed to him in this book, uh, one of the untold story of Vatican II, mm -hmm. um, is not only different from what I've heard, it's the exact opposite of what I've heard. Yeah. That when John the Twenty-Third proposed the idea of a council, that he was warned that the first Vatican Council had never concluded, was never, was never finished actually, it was dispersed uh, by the invasion of Rome, uh, yeah. Garibaldi and his Freemasonic hordes. Um, and uh, so it was impossible to call it Vatican II when Vatican I was actually never completed. <coughs> Supposedly, <coughs> according to that, uh, John XXIII wanted to complete the work of Vatican II. And nothing could be more nonsense than that. That is absolute nonsense. Um, in fact, uh, John XXIII was known as a modernist. The first thing he did when he was elected was to call for his file and uh, to um, see that he was suspected of modernism, as he read in his file. And he, of course, you know, protested that and thought it was rather funny, rather comical. And uh, John XXIII has a track record uh, when he was in France he uh, was Apostolic Was he Apostolic Yeah, I think he was there. And he, um, he consorted continually with all of the enemies of the church there, all the leftists. He was their boon companion, great body, right? And so, um, no, no, I, I, don't, I don't see it, I'm sorry. Was John the Twenty-Third um, <clears throat> as radical as Paul the Sixth? I don't think so. I would say that. I don't think John XXIII actually, well, necessarily saw the council as uh, a revolutionary event. <clears throat> um, you know, he was more of the bon vivant sort of, uh, um, I don't know, um, how would you describe him? Probably sanguine and phlegmatic. I guess he just liked uh, to enjoy enjoy life. He was a great partier, <clears throat> and um, he um, he thought he was going to apply the medicine of mercy. And uh, there are those who say he had good intentions. Maybe he did. People can have very good intentions uh, in doing some very bad things, you know. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about the modernists, but Pius X talked about the modernists uh, being so full of, of themselves and so full of pride and arrogance. 
that they actually think of themselves as reformers of the church. They actually think of themselves that they're going to save the church from its rigidity, like Francis, from being rigid and uh, uncompromising in its dogmas, and therefore they're going to save the church from death because rigidity and dogma and doctrine means to them that you will die, you know, that the church itself will die. This is their attitude. Um, they, they claim to believe uh, the faith, but they interpret the faith in their own way, and that's what they believe. So you can cite dogma to them, and they'd readily say, well, yes, I believe that, but they believe it as, as the Arians believed it. Uh, they amend it to suit their modernist ideas. Um, and so um, there's no doubt that John XXIII was himself a modernist. Uh, I don't know that he was the revolutionary Paul VI was. Paul VI was not, not only a revolutionary in his, in his thought, but he was actually very weak. Uh, I think he's, he was kind of like the Joe Biden, in a sense. He's kind of like the Joe Biden of, of the church back then. Put in place, and he was basically run over by the, the tanks of the leftists in the church. Um, I think what's going on in the country right now is kind of a um, kind of a game plan that they that they actually developed leading up to uh, Vatican II, and after Vatican II, it worked. And I think they're they're following the same program. The leftists, the modernists, the leftists are allied, right? Fundamentally, they're the same in their outlook, outlook on life and death, and. Uh, <clears throat> And they have the same tactics. Um, so anyway, uh, but I, I cannot take it on the word of Robert de Mattei that uh, John the Twenty Third was actually a, anything was was any form of champion of the faith, or any was even faithful. But I think he was an agent of change. I think he made it very clear. And no, I don't believe that there were uh, conservative cardinals urging him to have a council. Quite the contrary, I think they were discouraging from having the council because they thought it would be revolutionary. I think Pope Pius XII saw that too, <clears throat> that it would be revolutionary uh, because of the influence of the modernists in the hierarchy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Father, another Great question uh, from a viewer. He says, if Vatican II is fatally flawed and illegitimate, doesn't that call into question all the previous councils of the Church? If Vatican II is questioned, doesn't that call into question all the other councils? No. Not at all. Quite the contrary, actually. The reason why Vatican II is called into question is because it was so unique. Because it departed from the other councils of the Church. Because in the other councils of the Church, <clears throat> we saw precisely a need to address dogmatic questions of faith. All of the other councils of the church addressed dogmatic questions of faith. This council was called upon to be like an anti-council from the very beginning. Uh, John the Twenty-Third said it was a pastoral council. Right away, he put it into categories by itself. <clears throat> so the point in questioning Vatican II is that it was such a radical departure from all the other councils of the church. So to question Vatican II certainly does not call into question the other councils. Quite the contrary. The other councils all call into question Vatican II. That's the point. Okay. Uh, well, Father... Which has to be one of the briefest answers I've ever <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I wasn't even prepared to... <laughs> there, Father, this 
this um, this question from from another viewer. Uh, if I could try and, and try and sum up his sum up his words here, he uh, he asks if Paul the sixth uh, actually used his official papal authority to impose Vatican II on the faithful, and if that could perhaps uh, be a moment where he lost his uh, his legitimate. Uh, how how exactly he words it? If if he could have possibly lost the papacy at that point when he promulgated Vatican II, mm -hmm. there are any number of points along the way, Paul VI from 1963 to 1978, where one could say, well, I think this is where he lost it. You know, mm -hmm. um, of course, the the question to begin with, did he have the did he have the Catholic faith to begin with, right? And um, it's possible that he did. It's possible that he could have been one of these radicals who actually considered himself believing the faith. And if you were to ask him, he would say, possibly yes. But again, as a modernist, they interpret the faith their own way. Um, and um, so when they say they believe it, whatever it is they believe, you have to question them and ask them exactly what they mean when they say that. Right? Yeah. If, a, if a modernist says, I believe in the Immaculate Conception, well, you have to question them and find out exactly what they mean by that. Right? Because they don't necessarily mean what the church means <clears throat> by it. And, um, but in any case, um, if Paul VI was legitimately elected, right, and, uh, and chosen, um, and when I say that, um, I, uh, you know, I, I'm not getting into the question, I don't mean to get into get the question of the, the actual mechanics of the election itself, okay? Um, but if he, if he had the faith and he was truly, uh, eligible to be elected and he was truly the Pope, okay, um, and, uh, I am not in a position to say he wasn't, frankly, you know, I'm not convinced that he wasn't, okay, so just for the record, um, could he have lost the papacy somewhere along the line? Well, you know, you look at the writers of the church, you look at the tradition of the church that has to speak on that very issue. Um, and yes, there are doctors and, and uh, saints of the church who have spoken clearly on this, expressing their thoughts of a pope losing the papacy. And uh, yes, there are certainly qualified doctors and very highly respected authors in the church. Theologians throughout the centuries have said affirmatively, yes, a pope even though he be the Pope, can lose the papacy by apostasy or by heresy. Um, some say when it becomes manifest, some say as soon as he is a heretic, even privately, he would lose the papacy. Some say it would have to be manifest. Some say it would have to be declared by uh, the hierarchy, right? meeting together. But there are problems with all of these, all of these criteria. <clears throat> But the fact is, so many of them said, yes, a pope could lose the papacy. So I think this author, this writer is acknowledging that, okay, that this is traditional teaching of the church, or at least the church, in a sense, has endorsed this as a perfectly Catholic view to hold, and a perfectly Catholic position to take. Um, but, you know, in terms of when Paul VI would have, might have lost the papacy, I don't know. Jean Guiton reports, and he's a credible witness, that as Paul VI, whom, whom, he was sitting, he said, he said he was standing right next to Paul VI when Paul VI was about to terminate the council and 
you know, promulgate the documents, that Paul VI turned to him and said, I'm about to sound the trumpets of the apocalypse. Uh, quite a shocking statement. But Jean Guiton made it very clear, this is exactly what he told me. And he, he talked about the impression it made on him, that this, this was shocking to him. I mean, could that have been a, a moment when Paul VI himself um, uh, lost the papacy? One could argue that. One could argue the point, I think. I don't know how convincingly one could argue the point. Would he have lost the papacy when he um, issued new sacramental rites for all the sacraments? Well, yes, according to, um, uh, to Suarez, Francesco Suarez, again, who's a Jesuit um, father, a doctor of the church, I should say. I mean, he's, he's very well known. Uh, a theologian. I, 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 can't, I can't actually call him a doctor of the church, I'm sorry. But he's very well known and very, very authoritative. Um, and considered to be a, a, you know, an authoritative voice within the church as far as theology goes. Not that everything he said is endorsed. The point being that when he said something, it wasn't condemned. So, you know, it would be acceptable in the church. Let me put it that way. So I misspoke on a doctor of the church, obviously. But the point is, he, he expressed the thought that if a pope were to change all the sacramental rites of the church, he himself would be a schismatic. And he would be cut off from the church. And this is a novel idea for some people, that the pope could be a schismatic, and he could cut himself off from the church. Um, but the idea was expressed by no less a luminary than the theologian, Francesco Suarez, and to my knowledge, the church never corrected him or condemned him for that thought. So, I mean, could that itself have constituted a loss of the papacy? Well, hypothetically, it could, right? So anyway, um, I would just have to say to our writer, well, I mean, one could make the case along the line, but there will always be a case made, also arguments to the, to the negative, and by the time you're done, you just have basically a theological argument. Um, the only authority uh, that can possibly resolve that issue is the authority of the Catholic Church. And uh, this is precisely the issue we have now, right, isn't it? That we do not have the authoritative ish, uh, voice uh, speaking through the magisterium of the Catholic Church now because the Church has been infiltrated by her enemies by the enemies of faith, who are presuming to uh, speak in her name. Mm -hmm. So uh, all I can say is maybe, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> who knows? <laughs> right? I'm sorry. But... Yeah, no, that's good. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> well, another email I wanted to uh, read, Father. Um, we had a, one of our great, very faithful viewers from uh, Canada um, she, uh, she sent us a, a wonderful email just kind of uh, outlining some of the terrible things that are happening in Canada right now. She mentions uh, various pastors that have been arrested uh, just for, for holding services and uh, people being ticketed and, and fined uh, for simple things just being in a park or having too many people over to your house. Uh, she mm -hmm. mentions the elderly who are, who are dying in nursing homes from dehydration due to all, all of the lockdowns and everything. Mm -hmm. And her, her question is, Father... Uh, with the um, with with the border uh, borders 
kind of um, tightening up a bit more. She said it's been harder for traditional priests to come over um, in, into the into uh, Canada to offer real, true traditional Latin masses there. And her, so her, her question is, how do we how do we fight all of these terrible evils that are happening in, in her country? She says there's so few traditional Catholics over there. There are so few rosaries being prayed. There are so few traditional masses being offered over there. What what hope do, do they have in Canada? What what can she possibly do to uh, to kind of combat all of these terrible evils that are happening? Well, you know, your heart goes out to the poor people in Canada because it's like a penal colony now. Uh, I mean, Australia too has reverted to the status of a penal colony. I think really, where the the inmates there are treated as though they're basically criminals, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and threatened with with being criminals if they deviate from the uh, the party line, right? And um, so I feel very badly for them. We do pray for them, the good people there. Um, they, you know, when, when we were talking about these questions, she's talking about the spiritual problem here. And as far as the spiritual problem goes, about all that they can do is um, militate in favor of, you know, the, practicing their faith not accept the fact that they are being told they can't, right? And continually use every means uh, prudently, legally, morally at their disposal to, uh, to uh, practice their faith um, and refuse to accept these restrictions, right? As right and good and normal and but tolerable even. But, uh, but I would suggest to them in the meantime, is to offer to Almighty God as a sacrifice the very grief they are suffering. I mean, they're suffering, truly, spiritually suffering. Um, in their hearts and their consciences, they're suffering terribly. And we think back to the early days of the persecution of the Church, when you had monsters like Nero, and we have modern monsters too, who prayed around in, in expensive suits and ties and, you know, present themselves as very civilized. But they're, they're not barbarians. They're worse than barbarians, right? Uh, they're modern-day Neros, and uh, very possibly possessed, because they act like they're possessed, you know, in their hatred of Christ and the faith. And so uh, there are people like a writer here who actually uh, can, right here in place, uh, say to our Lord, Lord, I know this is a punishment um, and I know why. It is because of sin, as Our Lady warned us at Fatima. And um, insofar as you are calling upon me to endure this, I will do it for love of you. And I offer up the sorrow that's in my heart, even the agony that I'm experiencing, I'm offering that as a sacrifice to me. Everyone in Canada should do exactly that. Every traditional Catholic in Canada should do exactly that, I believe, to offer to our Lord, uh, as a plea to his mercy, the very suffering they're undergoing, and not accept it, and not, not take it as a matter of, uh, uh, this is a personal attack on me, an affront to my rights, and how dare they do this to me. Uh, but it is our Lord who's targeted, and they should accept it, realize it is our Lord they're targeting here. And the only reason that this writer and others in Canada are suffering right now is because the, there are people who are in very powerful places now uh, who hate our Lord. 
and they will, they will attack anybody who loves him. But their motivation is ultimately to attack the Sacred Heart of Jesus, our Lord. And so those who are targeted uh, by these people realize that it is only because they love Jesus Christ, our Lord, and is the kingship of our Lord, that they are targeted. And so they are asked now by our Lord to be faithful to him and to, to, uh, to offer up a very great sacrifice to him. <clears throat> it's precisely this kind of plea that has tremendous power in the eyes of God, that he will hear their humble plea to him for mercy and relief. It's not motivated by their own, let's say, personal egos or satisfaction or comfort. It's motivated purely out of a love for him. And an outrage um, that he is, he is the one, in a sense, who in them is being uh, scourged. And he is the one who in them is being crowned with thorns. And he is the one who in them right now, today, is being crucified. So I suggest they offer all of that in union with the cross of Christ as an act of love for him and approach God the Father with that as a plea for mercy. I think that's the most powerful thing they can do. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, they can't, if they can't receive Holy Communion from real traditional priests, then uh, uh, in the real traditional Mass, they should make spiritual communions every day, many times a day. No one can prevent that. And um, they should uh, be more vocal in professing their faith than they were in times of liberty. They should be even more vocal in professing their faith than they ever were. Um, and so I, I do encourage them to do that, and take every means possible to speak up for their faith. Mm -hmm. Father, would, uh, would the same advice apply to, uh, to Cubans and what's going on in Cuba right now with uh, so many of the terrible mm -hmm. protests and things that we see happening over there? You know, I wonder. I wonder if the communists dominating Cuba right now didn't provoke this. They must have realized that there was a great deal of unrest and there was a lot of seething opposition. And sometimes, I mean, these communists are diabolically clever, that they will trigger something. I think they're trying to do that in this country too right now. I think the communists who have taken over our country are trying to provoke a reaction so that they can immediately uh, rise up and condemn it, right? As a number, another of, well, again, you know, you can't have to use the word, right? I can't use the word of anything that happened in early January in this country in D.C., right? Because immediately they, they will look for that and they will, they will censor that, right? That's how, that's how it's come. That's why I say the communists have taken over this country. And, um, but the fact is, I, I think that was all staged. I think it was all provoked. It was all basically set up and that um, there are people who were, who were opposed to a communist takeover of the country who went to our nation's capital for the sake of voicing that opposition to the communist takeover, actually walked into a trap, okay? And they were accused of the ones, being the ones who were trying to take over. 
the country, right? When all they were trying to do was uh, oppose the communist takeover. But this is how diabolically clever these communists are. And so I wouldn't be surprised the communists sensing that there was a growing uh, animosity against them and uh, resistance to them, that they sparked this thing to bring it out in the open while they stood, still had control before it got too big. And then come down on it with the iron boot, dragging one of their Novosoro priests off, right, in the streets publicly, and he hasn't been seen or heard from since, okay? And uh, coming down with, with uh, uh, just the iron truncheon on the people. They were, they were actually uh, parading in the streets in part of Cuba with the statue of the patroness of Cuba, Our Lady of Charity. Um, but all this did was kind of bring to the surface the leaders of the, of the opposition so the communists could, could immediately crush them, you know. And what did they do? Uh, the people of Cuba, the good people of Cuba, appealed to, to the government of the United States of America, uh, or what they thought was the government of the United States of America, but they think of it. And what were they told? They were told by the Biden uh, regime uh, to be calm. Okay, be calm. Well, that's that's perfect. I tell tell the anti-communists in Cuba to remain calm. Okay, well, that's exactly what they'd like of everyone here. Just remain calm. You know, let them do what they want to do. Don't don't do anything to try to prevent them from that. You know, whatever. <laughs> and uh, so again, this is exactly what you'd expect if you. If you appealed to another communist dictator, right, who would tell the anti-communist uh, forces there, just calm down, just calm down. Yeah. Uh, this is exactly what Francis would tell them, just calm down. This is what he told the people in Venezuela, right? And everywhere else, all the other communist regimes he visits, right? Basically. Um, just accept their, their servitude except their slave slavery. So um, anyway, this poor people of Cuba, we have to pray for them. And um, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's another example of uh, the imposition. Well, of course, the communism imposed itself upon the Cuban people uh, long ago in the person of that uh, infidel Castro, right? Um, and they would like to try to free themselves from it now. But I think it, it should be like a warning, a warning to the peoples of the world of what happens when you are under the iron grip of communism and how hard it is to, to escape it. Um, and what would happen not only here, but throughout the entire world when the communists get the upper hand, <clears throat> meaning when they get the police powers. They can turn the police into the agents of tyranny. If the police and the military will allow themselves to be turned into the agents of like a, the a communist cabal, communist party, that's what you have. Then you have, you have that's, that's the only reason they can enforce this because the, generally the people would not accept it any other way. Um, they have to get the police and the military willing to shoot their own mothers and fathers to death. They have to get the police and the military 
willing to shoot their own brothers and sisters to death, right? <clears throat> At the command of their communist dictator. Ready to do that. And um, they're in the process of uh, making sure they do. Making sure they will. Okay. Uh, Father, do you have any... <clears throat> any uh, anything cheerful? Anything cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, ultimately... Uh, we, we have um, the resident of the White House planning on sending uh, agents, right, out throughout the countries. First of all, we have the uh, Speaker of the House here who is actually deploying the uh, Washington, D.C. police, right? Uh, around the country, they're going to be like a national police force now surveilling everything that might threaten any congress congressman of course of course they're all playing on january 6th right now okay to uh invoke this national police force and its surveillance to watch everybody monitor everyone who could oppose them or breathe a word of even negative crit criticism of them um but now you also have uh the uh, the resident of the white house actually deploying um, pairs of, of disciples, I guess, uh, to go around <clears throat> confronting people at their doors of their own homes about whether they've been stuck or not. And um, I think it's an opportunity to, um, if they come to the door, keep them there for an hour or two or three. But uh, tell them about our Lord Jesus Christ and the kingship of Christ, and inform them that they've already lost this battle, that they are represent their agents of tyranny, the agents of, of communist tyranny that are being used to impose this tyranny uh, throughout our country, inform them of that fact, and then tell them that the fact is that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Savior, their Savior too, and uh, be ready to talk to them about that and explain to them, you know, this is what you want to talk about. You know, this is what, this is what you want to talk to them about. And if they won't listen to you, then, I mean, that, that's unfortunate for them, but that's what you should want to talk to them about. So when they come to your door, take the opportunity to impress upon them, number one, that they're being agents of tyranny, and uh, that they should be ashamed of themselves for being agents of, of tyranny, and try to uh, appeal to any faith that they might have deep down. Unfortunately, they might be agents of Francis, as well as agents of the resident of the, of the White House. <laughs> they might be agents there, too. I understand that Boston University has just stated they will not give any, ex any exact uh, exemptions from getting stuck, uh, to any Novus Ordo uh, Catholic, because Francis has says it's, they have a moral obligation to get stuck. Okay, um, so no exemptions for them, right? So who knows how many agents of, of Francis, uh, the modernist Vatican, will be prowling the streets seeking someone to devour, you know, to stick um, uh, with the magic potion. <laughs> Um, in any case, um, and I, I, again, I would, I would consider it to be such a grave matter <clears throat> that only mat a matter of life and death could, could possibly justify 
uh, voluntarily getting stuck. Only a matter of life and death could justify it. <clears throat> Some would say not even that. But I think they're exceeding their, their bounds and they say that. In any case, um, but one of the things that we have to make clear to everyone, those who would darken our doorstep with, with a needle to stick us with, and, uh, and those around us, and anybody who will listen, we have to make it very clear that um, the tyranny that is being imposed upon us now is, is a result of the sinfulness of mankind. We have to repent of our sins, we have to do penance, but most of all, I think it's extremely important that we all state very clearly, emphatically, and convincingly, because we're convinced, that this has all been judged. This has all been determined. It's all been forecast and prophesied by God uh, in sacred scripture and then throughout the tradition of the church, notably at Fatima, that we not only are not surprised this is happening, we would be surprised if it weren't happening. Um, and we understand exactly why it's happening. We can understand the reason for it, the sinfulness of mankind. And uh, the fact is that the victory already belongs to our Lord. He is already victorious. The outcome is already determined. It is just a matter of being faithful to him. So we need to rally the troops with that message, really. The kingship of Christ is the only answer here. And we, we have to proclaim him as king. Right? So let's do it. Do it. Let's exalt his sacred heart. Yes, Father. Let's fly, fly those colors. Right. Right. Well, Father, thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate your time and everything. Oh, yeah. Certainly, Tom. Thank you. Yep. Very much. God bless you all. Yep. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe. Until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.